Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life.
song that was written was uh, by my request. I didn't know my wife would be the one to pick up the request and do it, but she was. Uh, written from Psalm 51, also from Psalm 63, that kind of takes in the whole thing about creating in me a clean heart. Psalm 51, the titles of this psalm is called Confession, Brokenness, Restoration, Cleansing, Hope, Repentance, and Unconditional Love. So when you think about Psalm 51, if you want to write any of those down next to the psalm, The psalm is all about these words. These are the words that are covered in this song. Conceptually, this is the spirit of the psalm. This is the the fountain of this psalm. It's a psalm of confession. It's a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of hope. It's a psalm that reminds you about the unfailing love of God. It's a psalm that has in it the brokenness of a man writing to other people. It's not a writer writing to broken people. It's a broken person writing to broken people. A difference. Not a writer writing about broken people. A broken person writing about his own experience. It's testimonial. This psalm is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 12. The psalm's background is written from David's moral failure. Very dark moment in the life of an awesome person. Poor decision, horrible decision. One that would cause him pain from that moment for the rest of his life. But there was a time period where the pain was so severe that he wrote another psalm. Psalm 32, you can read later. Where David writes about what happens when you keep the sin inside of you and you do not confess it or cleanse it. You don't deal with it. And what happens to your bones and your conscience and your sleep and your body? You age. Something goes on. You're agitated. You're restless. You toss and you turn and you can't handle life. And and you're double-minded and your health goes down. That's Psalm 32 because that's when David takes. He took the sin and he kept it for those nine months. Nathan comes to David at the end of the pregnancy, actually after the birth, because the baby was born. So it was nine, ten, eleven months. It wasn't probably within a year's time period there that Bathsheba is pregnant. Bathsheba has the baby. And then the prophet comes and says the baby's not going to live. And so it's within that nine, ten, eleven month time period that the prophet Nathan comes and says, David, 
you're the man. And David then repents immediately. The, the shortest, uh, greatest repentance is in 2 Samuel chapter 12 when the prophet puts his finger on David and David says, I have sinned against the Lord. No excuse, no explanation. No need to go into the whys or hows or what was the circumstance or what I was thinking or, you know, I'm really sorry because that was a hard time for me. I've been in battles for 20 years and then, you know, I was just so discouraged. I had to stay home. The other men were out fighting. I was so tired. I was exhausted and so much had happened in the kingdom and he had no excuses to give. He just simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan says, and you have. And because God loved you, he's not going to kill you. There will be a sort of consequence. There's going to be some real sorrowful consequence that's going to come on in your life. But God's not going to kill you. Under the law, both him and Bathsheba were dead people. But the prophet comes with a grace with the law, which is God, saying you're not going to die. So David, being loved of God, I think one of the reasons is because he's so honest with his own sin. He doesn't make excuses. It's the prayer of a broken man. Come into God saying, I have sinned. God, I need your help. Psalm 51 is a prayer appealing to God's love and compassion. As the broken person petitions the Lord to forgive, show grace. This is what Psalm 51 is all about. Create a new life and a new future. It is the prayer of a desperate person. A prayer that God hears and responds to. The kind of people that fit this psalm could be Oh, immeasurable. There's so many people that can fit the song. But here's some that immediately would come to your mind. If I was going to apply some people's lives to this psalm, I would say it's a psalm of those who have hidden failures. Hidden sin, hidden failures, hidden problems, things you've never talked about, things that break you inside, shame you inside, guilt you inside cause you to toss and turn, not sleep well. Your conscience is not exactly right. Your countenance would show it sometimes, probably in the wee hours of the night or the morning or where there's no one else around or when you're driving and daydreaming and when you drift back to that event or that circumstance or several circumstances where you actually sin before the Lord, but no one knows about it. No one knows about it. The only two people that knew about this was David and Bathsheba. The Bible does not... Let us know that anybody else knew except God and the prophet. But David lived it out. Bathsheba lived it out. Whatever was in his spirit was not good. He was a broken man because he had hidden failure. Broken lives. People who have given up on themselves because they, they do fail. They have made mistakes. Guilt and shame, which is so abundant in our culture that we have created counseling and drugs, legal drugs, and all kinds of ways to help a person handle guilt. You cannot remove guilt unless you remove it properly. There's no way to remove it. Our society doesn't understand that. We think we can suppress it, bury it, cover it, excuse it, talk it out, do whatever. But if you're guilty of something, you don't make it right properly the biblical way. That guilt will wear on you for years. People who have lost their joy, people who have stepped over the line, and then, of course, people who turn to God. John 51, if you're there, notice the first couple verses. 
where David simply says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which is very close to the definitions I have. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Notice the three words that David uses to describe sin. He uses the word sin, transgress, and iniquity. Three words that he uses to describe sin. The word sin means to miss the mark, but it's more than just missing the mark. The word sin means to miss the mark, but it's more. I've heard, and I've actually even said it, but I think I was incorrect now that I've said this word out more. I've heard people use the word sin as missing the mark, as slipping, stepping aside, a mishap, a mistake. But that is not the word at least used in this passage. The word here is to miss the mark willfully. It means to aim at the wrong target. It means to go down the wrong path. It means to miss something because you deliberately decide to miss it. It is not just a mistake, although all sin is a mistake. But it's not just a slipping by. It's not just a mishap. It's not just, wow, I don't know how this happened. David knew exactly how it happened. He aimed at the wrong target. There was no excuse here. David could not say, it was just a mistake. David aimed at the wrong target. He saw the woman. He thought about the woman. He sent for the woman. He slept with the woman. He killed her husband. He aimed at the wrong target. It wasn't just a slip up, just a a bad thought that went through his mind and went on his way. He aimed and hit the wrong target. This is why David says, I have sinned. I have aimed at the wrong target. I have hit the wrong target. I am guilty. There is no excuse here. I did this. To transgress means that you actually rise up in defiance against a standard an authority person has put in place and you rise up against a clear standard and you rebel against it. And this is what David did. The clear standard of God's word, the clear standard of the law, the clear standard of God speaking to David about his own life. There was a clear standard established by the authority of God. And David rose up in rebellion against a clear standard and transgressed it. It's simply he stepped over the line with that standard. The word iniquity is the word lawlessness in the Greek. And this in the Hebrew, it is again a a lawless spirit, a person who does wrongdoing and they pay the price because of it. But it has the idea again of stepping over the line like transgression. Iniquity is to actually do wrong when the right is there, but I won't do the right. I'm going to do the wrong. It's a choice. Iniquity is a choice because you cast off restraint. You cast off what is right according to divine standard. You cast off what you should do to hit the wrong mark. These words, sin, transgression, iniquity, and you can put a slew of other words in there. It really means you create your own rule book. You write your own rules. You get into a situation and you write your own rules. You say, you know what? I'm going to do it this way and I think I can get away with it. Or I have so much pressure. I am going to do this and and I think I can be excused because of the pressure I'm under and because of the circumstance or the age of my life or uh, the, the, the pity you should have on me or whatever it might be. You can never write your own rules. They don't work. You can never change the standards of God. 
God won't change and he won't change his word. You have to rebel against that in order to establish your own rule. And when you establish your own rule, you establish a self-destructive path. And God says, please get off that path. Don't do what your mind says to do or your heart will rise up and say you have a right to do. It's wrong. Why? Because sin is destructive. All right? Now, David says in verse 4, he says, I have sinned against you and you only. Number one, sin is against God. Sin is always against God since it is failure to hit God's mark, failure to obey divine standard, failure to please what God is asking. Sin is first of all against God. Two, sin is seed rooted in our fallen nature. We are sinners by nature. We all have this bent. In other words, there's something wrong. There is a doctrine of depravity that David goes into here. And he says it right. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. So there's something wrong with me from the beginning. I have a bias to do wrong. I have a flaw. I have a problem. I have a weakness. And if I don't take care of this weakness, it will drive me the wrong way every time. I have a problem. I have a sin problem. I have a selfish problem. I have a problem that will push me to the pits of hell if I don't allow the grace of God to come in. Every one of us have a flaw. We're born with it. You don't have to go to a seminar to get the flaw. You don't have to read a book to get the flaw. You don't have to somehow find yourself in in a way to develop this uh, depravity that's in you. It's in us. We were born in Adam. We were shaping an iniquity. We have a lawlessness about us. We're all a little stubborn. We're all a little flawed. We're all a little sensual. We're all a little, 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 little. And without the grace of God, there go us. We would be just like a David. That's why it's never good to point your finger and be judgmental because the word would come right back to you and said, except for the grace of God, there go you. If it wasn't for my love and grace and compassion over your life, you would be a pervert. You would be a beater. You would be a person who was, would be immoral. You would be a person making wrong decisions. But because of my grace and my love over your life and you respond to that grace and that love, I have kept you from yourself. How many can say amen? amen. Thank God for grace. This is what David is saying. I know that sin is rooted in me. I don't excuse it, but I recognize what has pushed me. Number three, sin is always before us and in us until it's cleansed. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Until you take care of it, it's always in front of you. It stares you in the face. It comes at you at the wrong time. It will slam dunk you with condemnation. Number four, sin unconfessed and bottled up inside is nothing more than torment. You will be tormented in your emotions. You'll be tormented, double-minded in how you will do things. That's what sin is. Sin is very destructive. Now, again, sin is not a pleasant or popular subject, but it's a very real thing in our universe. Sin is not just a doctrine. It is a real thing. It is a spiritual power. You are born with it. It is in you. It is working on you all the time. It never stops. It never gives up. Sin is a powerful force. The only power that can work against sin and overcome sin is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, the grace of God in our life that is more powerful than all the sin that comes against me. So I have to give myself to Jesus in order to not give myself to sin. Can I hear an amen? It's not 
that you will be overcome by sin, but you will if you don't serve Jesus. This is David's prayer. These are the words of a person that wants restoration in their life. Now, if you're a person that wants restoration, you want cleansing, you want something to happen, here's how you would pray. Have mercy on me, O oh God. He chooses the exact right word, said, which is unfailing love. On the ground that even if man breaks his side of the covenant, God will never break his side. Trans- Transgression is just this breaking of the covenant of God. Hased love is a never to be broken love like that of a mother's love for her child that was once part of her body. Can she ever not love that child? And so that's the word that David uses is, oh, God has set me. Even though I broke the covenant, even though I have transgressed against you. Let your love be unfailing toward me. God, I'm, I'm depending on your hased now because I can't earn it. I have already broken the covenant, but I know that you're a covenant God and you can't break your covenant. Then David says, blot out, wipe out, cancel, erase, destroy totally with no trace left, no longer existent against my name. Blot out my sin. Number three, he says, wash me. Like a person taking dirty clothes and washing all the stains out, all the stains that the fuller had to beat off the clothes. That's the word he used. Number four, he says, cleanse me. Make me clean. Shine again. Be bright, open. And number five, he uses this great scripture in verse 10, creating me a new heart. The word create, and this is what we're praying right now for all of us to make something that has not been in existence before, to form it and fashion it into something new. You might have desires that have not been in existence for a long time. You need God not only to cleanse your desires, but to create some new desires in you. Not only do you need God to come down and touch your heart, but create a new motor in your heart, something that you haven't felt for a long, long time, or maybe ever. So David says, oh God, create in me a clean heart. The restoration miracle in this chapter are these one-liners. And these is what I want you to believe for. If you pray the prayer of verse 12, restore, where David says restore, bring it back. Here's the things that I believe will be restored in your life. Number one, restore my life. Return to a place in the same condition as the prior state to make journey back to a point previously departed from. A pivotal move in the change of direction to return, set back in order, have a new activity, come back again, restore my life. Number two, restore my heart, my passions, the deep well, the flow, the strength, the hope. The solid heart feel that I know I should have. Restore my heart. Don't let me be double-hearted. Restore my passion. Number three, restore my spirit. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. The word there is breath of God. Restore the breath of God to me, which is what? The life, the life, the life, the life of God. Let me feel the life of God flow in my spirit again. Number four, restore your presence. In the Hebrew, the word presence is face. Turn your face toward me again. Favor and blessing. Let me hear your words. Restore your presence, O God, into my life. Number five, restore my joy. Restore the joy of my salvation. 
the sound of rejoicing, the feeling of rejoicing, that, that laughter, that, that uh, spirit that comes around me that I can just shout to the Lord and I'm so clean, I'm so open, I'm so right. There's nothing in between you and me or me and other people. I, I have a new heart. I have a new direction in life. My mind is clear. I'm not agitated anymore. Lord, restore to me that joy. Number six, restore my stability. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Stability with a focus that whatever is necessary to remain in the place of strength God will give you. He'll uphold you. Number seven, restore my reach. When a person is going through a restoration process, you can use this as a measuring rod. Verse 13, I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted. When your heart is right, your joy is right, your stability is right, your mind is clear, you're not agitated, you're not tossed to and fro, your conscience is not dirty, you're walking in the light of the Lord and in the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, I'll tell you how you will know. You'll begin to reach out to other people. That's how you know. When you're whole... You want to make someone else whole. When you're sick, you don't care. When you're sick in the natural, you don't feel like having a bunch of people over. You don't feel like going to the cafe and sitting down in fellowship with everybody. You just want to get in your car and go home. You're a kid. <laughs> you know, you're, you just, I'm, I don't feel good. I don't want to talk to anybody. I have a headache. When you're sick in the natural, you don't want to be around people. When you're sick in the spiritual, you don't want to be around people. And not only don't want to be around them, you don't want to help them. Someone comes and says, man, I'm really going through. You just say, oh, that's too bad. Jeez. I've been through a lot too. Maybe, maybe you'll find help. Why don't you go find some help? Go talk to someone. Don't talk to me. Because I'm hurting myself. Hurting people can't help hurting people. Sick people do not help sick people. Whole people help Sick people. Happy people help sad people. Clear conscience people help clean up another person's conscience. Ask yourself a question. Are you able to reach? Are you still got some stuff going on? Number eight. Restore my worship. Oh Lord, open my lips. When you are restored and your spirit is right... You will do exactly what the psalm says. My mouth shall show forth your praise. When you have a clear conscience, worship is easy. It's fun. It flows. You open your mouth and sing. When you have stuff going on inside of you, you get quiet. Unnaturally quiet. In real life, it's the same way. When you're bummed out about stuff, You're not the outgoing personality. You're just kind of quite up, buttoned down, don't say much. And so it is in the kingdom of God. When a person has a lot of stuff going on in their life, they don't really worship. They don't really pray. They don't open their mouth to witness. Their lips are tied shut. Everything is going on inside of them. They have a whole conversation going on inside of them that their lips are sealed. When you are clear inside and you have a clear freeway for the grace of God, your lips get pride open. You start talking to people. You start talking to God. You start worshiping the Lord. You become a noisy saint. Can I hear an amen? Restore the last one, my vision and love for your house. Again, when you're healthy, verse 18, verse 19 will happen. 
Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. They shall offer bowls on your altar. What is he talking about with Zion? David is now referring to the house that he had built and the people that he built for that house. He has a love for the house. He says, oh God, do good to Zion. Oh God, accept our sacrifices. Lord, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When a person is right in their spirit, they pray for church, they love church, they build church. Their vision for church is lifted. They like coming to church because their conscience is clear and they enjoy it. How's your conscience? How's your spirit? How's your brokenness?